Ma Pimpo Aichi, the Haitian diaspora, the Living in Haiti podcast. The goal of the show, of course, is to break down what it means to transition, move, live, uh, and be in Haiti. My co-host, your favorite pastor. You already know Mark Antoine. <laughs> of course. Can't do the show without him. And today we have an incredible guest, a guest who uh, he has inspired me to I was living in Haiti for, for, for a bit and, and I ran across him and he was doing something phenomenal. What was it? Doing digital nomad stuff. He was living in Haiti, but working uh, for a company abroad. And that and that sort of tweaked it for me. I was like, wait a minute. I was out here just hustling and, and, and doing my entrepreneurial stuff. I went, man, I can maybe get a, a foundation uh, of income. And and from there, we came, became fast friends. And, of course, uh, and the, the other real cool thing about our guest here is that, you know, he actually was as in Capaïcien, yeah. right? Uh, outside of outside, not, you know, for those who don't know, Capaïcien is the second biggest city in Haiti. And, and very early on, I wanted to get a perspective of, because, you know, everybody's Port-au-Prince, 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 right? You know, so I wanted to get a, a perspective of someone who resides full-time in another city outside of the, of the, of, of PAP. And, and so without further ado, my guest, Junior JB, I'm really happy to have you on the show. How are you doing, back? Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. You are, you guys are too kind. I appreciate uh-huh. the invitation. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> And, and so with, with, with Junior JB, and just Junior for short, it's you know, just Junior. It, it's it's that you know it's uh, you know the the entire process of deciding to to move to Haiti, you know, to transition. We're gonna, I'm gonna ask you about all that, sure. and in particular, you know, because I know as well, uh, you, you have some experience with Port-au-Prince. So we really want to get a sense of the differences as it relates to living uh, in 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 that city versus Port of Prince. And then, of course, we're going to wrap up the conversation with really, you know, the digital nomad, just lifestyle idea and, and some tips and tricks in terms of getting opportunities, keeping those opportunities and the and the challenges as it relates to doing such a digital nomad uh, lifestyle in Haiti where, you know, Internet can be an issue, electricity can mm-hmm. be an issue. So we'll talk, we'll talk all about that. So those guys who are who are, who are just who are tuning in early, stay tuned. We have a really packed conversation. So so Junior. The floor is yours. Tell us about you, like your background, you know, when you're, you're stateside, you know, that whole gestation sure. and then ultimately what sprung to get land you come in uh, to, to uh, you know, be here with us, with us crazy guys. Yeah, <laughs> no schools. Yeah. <laughs> your mark here. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, thank you again. There's a lot, a lot for me to touch upon. So I'll, I'll try to, um, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to keep it to to the hour. But just to back up a little bit to my time in the States, uh, I had known uh, right after receiving my degree in psychology and philosophy that I wanted to get involved in something regarding education. So I, I actually ended up, after receiving my degree, uh, hopping into teaching. And, and the reason why I say that is because Teaching ha- allows uh, the ability, right, to go back and forth to Haiti. So mm. when I had those summers off, I was able to kind of get to Haiti, you know, rest, recharge, so to speak. And that's what actually really caught the bug in terms of the desire to go and live full time. 
uh, I remember one year I, I had come back from the summer in Haiti, and I, I was just kind of thinking, what if I reverse this? What if I actually ended up teaching in, in Haiti mm. and then returning to the States for the summers rather than, than you know, the States and then Haiti for the summer? So uh, I think that was really the part where I started to consider what it would look like to spend the majority uh, of my time in Haiti. So back and forth, back and forth. Uh, my family is originally from Port-au-Prince, still have family there. So I ended up spending a considerable amount of time in Port-au-Prince. My experience is, uh, I think, a little different from, from others who might decide to return in that I didn't save up a whole bunch of money. I didn't get, you know, I didn't send any car. I didn't do anything like that. I just, mm -hmm. for me, it was more of a push factor than a pull factor a meaning a push out of the United States rather than a pull to Haiti. I didn't I didn't show up with a particular uh, you know, project in mind focused on Haiti. I didn't show up with uh, with a non-governmental organization or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I just showed up because I wanted to get out of the rat race of the states. So I think that's important to note. Uh, in terms of how I got back to Haiti and, and under what context I came back. So in Port-au-Prince, I actually had a lot of time to just walk around. You know, I walk around uh, the different areas, Delamai, wherever it is, and really get to reacquaint myself with, with the country, with the with the way that, that the island functions, right? Because yeah, even yeah. if you're in Boston or New York or Miami, whatever the case may be, uh, you know, in Haiti, it's really c'est la poula, as we right. as we say. You know, there's there's, no, there's nothing like you know being in the actual country with everybody, with all your brothers and sisters. So, mm -hmm. um, just getting acquainted to that, and then Cape Haitian. Honestly, I knew that that even in the states, I'm a city guy. I love to be in the city, so Cape Haitian was a natural progression for me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'd be a liar if I said that the security situation in Port-au-Prince, especially over the years, became tenuous. Um, that's a factor for my decision to move to Cape Haitian. But also, I, I had a chance to just visit. You know, we don't we don't do that enough in the country, especially those of us who, who are based in Port-au-Prince, just to get out. You know, I love to see your, your videos, Chris, where you're getting out to the to the uh, countryside and just showing other facets, right? Because mm -hmm. in in Port-au-Prince, it's very it's very business oriented. You know, you're there for business. People flying in, flying out for business. Yeah. Um, but but having that time to get out to the countryside and and see different areas is, is really important. So I I was already familiar with Cape Haitian before I decided. To, to, you know, move out of Port-au-Prince. I'd already been there a couple of times, did the touristy things, you know, the Milo, the, the, the Citadel. So that, that was a, it was an easy, I think it was an easier transition for me because there was a level of, of, um, familiarity, mm -hmm. you know. And also being a city person, I already knew that I couldn't really position myself way, way, way outside of Port-au-Prince. Like, I know I needed a certain level of infrastructure, mm -hmm. you know, that would allow me to stay connected to, to friends and family and, and everything. And so 
in my mind, it just made sense that if I was going to continue to live in Haiti and and, and thrive, that I need to be in I, I need to take my chance with the second largest city. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. All right, all right. So yeah, that, that, not to compact there. Now, I just got to interject something really quick on when it comes to the. So you said you, when you came to Haiti, you were because I know for me, like from from the get, like I when I you know was was you know moving about, I had you know some family who you know I, I borrowed their car, they dropped me off, they they moved me around in their car. Honestly, I maybe took the tap tap thus far living in eighty three four years now, you know maybe twice. Right. And so you're telling me that yeah. you, from day one, you were using tap taps and, <laughs> and most, <laughs> I'll be, I'm, I'm so surprised. I'm, I'm struggling <laughs> on my own <laughs> breath here in motos and all that. Is that, is that right? Yeah. You know, and, and the thing about it is, is this, you know, when I started, when I started really moving back and forth and, and traveling, uh, the idea naturally came about you know, to buy a car or buy a car or to, to get a car in Miami and ship it to Haiti. A lot of, a lot of friends and family said that I got to make my move on that. And really it was something that I had in my sights. Um, you know, the public transportation in Haiti leaves much to be desired, but there's something about just being out and about that I got used to, you know, so basically I wasn't willing to hang in the States any longer while I saved up to buy a car. And I, I think some folks might say, well, that's that's kind of silly. You couldn't, you know, spend another year to save up. But I was just the context in which I decided to return. I was ready to go and I was ready to go like yesterday. And so. I just wanted to be in Haiti, and then I said I'll figure out the car situation and everything else after that. Um, so I think that's a little bit different from those who might be deciding to hit a particular number or to yeah. save a particular sum of money before making the jump. I more so wanted to make the jump first and then, within reason, right, figure out some of those other aspects later. But uh, as we say, you know, I arrived and I just, you know, degajim, degajim. Yeah. You know, and I got out there. I had some family, you know, who who could drive me around. But there reaches a certain point, right, where you got to make the difference between uh, I'm visiting and I'm living, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so, fam, the family was there. If you're visiting, it's different, right? They can, they're happy to see you back. They're happy to have you in in, in town for you know a couple of weeks or a month or something like that, and they can kind of help you out to right. um to get around or whatnot but if you're deciding hey i'm going to be here for a longer stretch then you obviously don't want to you know depend on them to that level to that extent so after i you know got my feet wet i i just had to rely on my family less and less so rather than family you know driving me somewhere you know kind of waiting picking me up or whatever Eventually, they just got to a point where it's like, okay, we're going to drop you off and, and you know, you can take the tap tap back down. Or, you know, it's funny. There's one time I was I was um, up in Del Ma, I think it was Del Ma uh, 80, Del Ma 80. And mm -hmm. I called my family and I, I told them, I said, hey, I'm all done. You know, I'm all done with what I needed to do. And, you know, can you come grab me? Because I got my laptop. I got all this stuff with me. 
And he just told me, he was like, no, you know, you, you come down on the, on the communette like everybody else. <laughs> so for those of y'all, you know, if you're coming back with family, just, it's, it's important to make that distinction between visiting and living. And if you're yeah. planning to be for, be there for a long period of time, you know, being in Haiti, then you just kind of have to make those adjustments to have your independence. It's also much yeah. better too, because you're not going to worry about, you know, so-and-so going to be available or such and such. It, is the car around? No, you just, you know, you get out there and kind of hit the pavement with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a question. my question for you, uh, Junior. Um, when, when I came back, I was Moto King. I mean, I would, I, would, I would hop on motos all the way from Kafu, all the way to Petrofil, anything I needed. I, I didn't take top tops much because I didn't like the, you know, when you get on the top top, it's kind of like a fight to get on, and I didn't want to have to deal with that. So it was mm-hmm. easier for me to, you know, wave down a moto, you know, whatever they tell me, you know, let's go and we out. Um, but my mm-hmm. question for you is what was your network like outside of your family when you returned? Um, like you said, there's a big difference when you're coming here just for a few weeks and when you're coming here for the long haul. Um, and one of the big things for me is outside of my family, I had a few friends, but I didn't have much of a network. Um, what was your network like outside of your family when you came back and how did you grow that over time? Uh, that's a great, that's a great question. And, you know, there was um it, it's interesting because I've oscillated between really being out and about. Like there's times I just I get up and get out and I'll just be out all day long, you know, trying to move around, make connections. Um I'm more introverted in nature, so mm-hmm. that was always a challenge for me to like get into different places and spaces and, and talk to people and, and just kind of get out there. So I oscillated between that and just literally hanging around the house. Like I'd be hanging around the house, you know, with the family, people will come through and, and that, you know, I'd meet a few people, right? But they're not in my generation. It's not my peer group. Mm -hmm. Um, but something that I had in mind when I I knew I want to come back home, I said, Hey, you know, I don't want to put myself in a situation where, um, my network is not, it's not diverse. And so by that, I mean, I didn't just want to connect with, with, you know, expats, what they call expats, others who came back. I knew I wanted to also network and meet with folks who are, who are in the country as well, you know, Haitian nationals. It just, just wherever you are, right? You want to have a diverse social network so that you don't, you know, so that you don't pigeonhole yourself in any particular, uh, you know, area. So I just got out and I started speaking more. You know, yeah. I think another thing is that in order to build a, a diverse network, uh, we know the importance and the power of language. And if you've been abroad in, in the States or Canada or France and your your native language has shifted, you know, yeah. me, and by that I mean that you no longer you no longer think in, in Creole, you no longer, uh, you know, act in Creole, you, your language has shifted so that you're you're thinking in English or you're thinking in French, it's going to make it difficult to to connect or to reconnect with that family or those friends. And so uh, like like others who have returned, I had to 
I had to brush up, you know, I had to get yeah. back the, the phrases and the language. And even if you speak in that, that the Creole in the New York or Miami, you know, you yeah. get back to the islands and you hear something that you haven't heard in like 10, 15, <laughs> 20 years. And you're like, yeah. what does that mean again? Or you might see a food that you haven't seen since, you know, you were a kid. So I think for me, uh, the first part to to really be able to build my network was to make sure that I was armed, uh, you know, as much as I could be mm. with with the Haitian Creole language because that's the language of the country, you know, it's yeah. our language. And so without having that at my disposal, at my at my beck and call, I already knew that I would be limited in terms of in terms of um, you know, my interactions and my network. I remember I remember when uh so for folks who don't know, when I shot the cop I episode on Cigenti, uh one of the first episodes when I really rebooted the channel, uh, Junior was one of the folks who really acted as my sort of, uh, you know, go-to, because he was in Capaicien, obviously, so I, you know, leveraged his, his knowledge and everything. What I remember the most <laughs> was, uh, there was, a, there was a, a few times where you had to go in on some people, like the taxi driver who kind of was trying to hustle us. Uh, there was just another, I remember when I, I, there was another situation where there was some hustlers and you had to go in and I, I, I'm telling, I'm telling Junior, Junior, run all that. I tried to call Junior down, but Junior was ready to go and, and dropping career, all that, you know, like, you know, there was a little accent to it, but still very much mature. Uh, and I just thought, you know, he's definitely adjusting. He's become a, cause that's, Haitians are very like that. We're, we're, you know, you know, Haitians and Haiti are very much argumentative. And, mm -hmm. and, and you gotta, and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta assert yourself. There's no doubt about it, especially living there as long as I have. So, yeah. so I, so I can speak firsthand that, you know, you, you, when it comes to language and, and, and not being afraid to engage in that, you, you got it, man. <laughs> you know, but let me, how, how, how did you do with, um, Chris, Chris mentioned, you know, that language and being assertive. Um, one of the things whenever I would get on the moto, because no matter how, how well we speak Creole, we still have that bit of unroot. You know what I'm saying? People can automatically sense, you know, this guy is just for a um, I like to think that my Creole is very well, but even when I say bonjour, people automatically know you know, this guy is a just for So how did you yeah. deal with that? Um, did you encounter people giving you, you know, giving you grief or so just for our year or, you know, people, um, they're very welcoming in that. Did they appreciate that? What was your experience with that? Yeah, no, great question. And Chris, it's funny to hear just, yeah, it was a fun experience. You know, you coming up to visit and just you're balancing like you want your your friend, right? You want your friend to have a pleasant experience, right? Just like when someone's coming to your house, you want your friend to have a pleasant experience so that they come back. So uh, it's just funny to hear that perspective that you provided. So thanks. Um yeah, yeah, Mark, to the question about uh the language, I think it was it was a strong and and long horizon, right? From you know, you just get back home, so you're trying to figure things out. You're trying to kind of get your bearings again cuz you've been out for a while. So there was definitely a time period where I was green. You know, I was more green and you know, you say something and people just um, automatically they're like, "Oh, you you you've been gone for you've been gone for a while at the very yeah. least um and so what really helped me with that is the actually that diversified network so 
I have friends who, you know, in the expat community or, or NGOs, as much as I'd have friends who are Haitian nationals, you know, so mm -hmm. I'd keep that diverse group and I'd keep up those connections because, you know, when you're back home and you're trying to get your bearings about you, it's not only the, the your natural language that changes that, you know, you're thinking in English or French, but also culturally, culturally, you're thinking in that manner, you know, because yeah, yeah. you're just so it's I like to say it's important to be bilingual, but it's also just as important to be bicultural, because if you don't have yeah. that, if you don't kind of build both of those up or, or regain them, then it's going to be very difficult or uncomfortable to, to function in the society. And so uh, long story short, I would react at, when I first came back, I would react and just, you know, accept, accept these things. Like, oh, Jasper, ah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or whatever, you know, you know, all types right. of things that they would say. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, that's just how it is. But and in, in talking and interacting with my network, I realized that those type of responses, it wasn't really helpful mm -hmm. um, to address a situation, especially if you're if you're in a tight spot, uh, which many times you can be in Haiti. You know, you're trying to negotiate something. You're trying to figure something out. And I want to make sure to respond to things, um, to, to respond to situations in a way that would demonstrate that I have not only command of the language again, but command of the culture, right? Because mm -hmm. if you can't demonstrate that, it can quickly become a field day. Well, like, okay, yeah, yeah. so and so is not hip to the game. Um, let's let's do this. Let's do A, B, C, X, Y, Z. Um, and, and so the the second part to what I did to address that, besides just getting tips for my network. You know, getting tips from from friends who are Haitian nationals uh, is just also being out, just being out in the streets, right? So, quick quick example. You know, I, if I was walking around Port-au-Prince with a friend of mine who is a Haitian national, you know, and a situation arises, someone's like, "Oh, diaspora blanc by sayo," I would actually more so watch how my friend reacted to that you know how did he take it how did how would he react and yeah. so at times you know friends will speak up and say hey you know whatever whatever you know he's been back and so i'm just kind of watching their reaction as a cue to see how how are these things responded to culturally you know just to, as a reminder uh, but then the other helpful thing for me was actually just being out and about on my own because mm -hmm. if you always got a friend who's who's been in the country, who hasn't left, who hasn't traveled, I think what I used to have a tendency to do is like let them handle that, you know, like uh, you know, let them handle this situation, or mm -hmm. they might just react really fast, and I don't even have to say nothing. But right. when that that quickly subsides, right? Because again, when you're visiting, friends can always be there with you. But when you're living, your friends got they got their lives to live. So you got to just go out and do your thing. So yeah. it was actually really helpful to me to just be out and about in the streets myself so that I didn't have any backup. It's like you really just got to figure it out. 
you know, trial and error to regain that sense of uh, biculturalism. So, so when you, so when you, you know, this is a twofold question here. So, you know, the the big thing about moving back and why so many folks may are apprehensive is is the issue of security, right? Um, And now, you know, if you can talk about like the difference between Port-au-Prince and and Cap-Haïtien in terms of that feeling of security, right? And ultimately, was that a factor to why you chose Port-au-Prince and Cap-Haïtien? And again, what sort of differences as it relates to the size, right? Because Port-au-Prince is so much more massive. Even though it is the second biggest city, it is still very, I mean, heck, I can tell you how many times in Port-au-Prince, it feels like a small town. And that's Port-au-Prince, right? And so Cap-Haïtien mm-hmm. certainly, certainly has a, sure has even smaller town feel. And, but how does that all mix into the feeling of security as someone who, again, I'm so so impressed in, in, in how you go about it. And you still don't have a car as of today. So you, even when you're in, in Haiti, you're moving around very raw. Like you're, you're very, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. what I usually make me vulnerable because you're in the top top and, 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 and you may have a look uh, and accent of a foreigner. So all that, all that mixes together to, 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 to want me to ask you, you know, that very, you know, Jumu style of question. Mm. Yeah, good question. Good question. So, um, my my initial reaction is that when when we think about Port-au-Prince versus Cape Haitian as the second largest city, uh, one of the first things that really came to my mind, you know, after you're living in, you know, you're living in Haiti, you're back in Haiti for a while. Naturally, you start to think about. Um, surprise, surprise, land. You start to think about land. You start to think about, you know, building a house or buying a house. You start to check prices and, and whatnot. And so there's no doubt about it at the time that I checked, you know, if you're looking for land, suitable land in, in a nice area in, in metropolitan Port-au-Prince, it's going to cost you much more. It's going to be harder. It's, there's, it's just going to be more challenging. Mm-hmm. To find exactly what you're looking for, as opposed to if you're if you're willing to move out outside of Port-au-Prince to the countryside. So when I really had in my mind, like, okay, I'm back and and that's it for me, uh, I really started more so thinking about where do I want to be over the long term? Because Port-au-Prince just it didn't seem to me like the long term solution in terms of living and spending, you know, spending the rest of my days. So. I'd say land was a first factor. Uh, I'd be a liar if I said security wasn't another factor. So, you know, there are times being in Port-au-Prince where it's just like, yo, I, you know, I'm, I'm stuck in the house. You know, I'm stuck in the house and, and I can't go out or I shouldn't go out. And I remember, you know, having to talk to whether it's family or, or neighbors and just one of those first questions we'd ask, like, oh, you know, how's it looking out there? Mm-hmm. It's a, and, and you're actually talking and trying to figure out if you want to go out or not. Um, you know, talk about living, living raw or, or living locally. Uh, I'd also go to the, to the, uh, to the outdoor market. You know, I do my shopping, I buy my food. That's, that's not common, right? We, we know that in our societies, mostly women who go there, but, I like my independence. I like being able to go and pick my products and decide. I didn't want to have to pay somebody to do it for me um, and, and, and whatnot. So just to uh, circle back to security, I'd say that I've, I've felt and I still feel 
pretty secure. It sounds kind of backwards, but because I've been out and about so much and so often, um, I, my face is is well, it's known, uh, not in a bad way or a pejorative way, right? But I'm hip to the game, so to speak, you know, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to had I not been out pounding the pavement consistently, there would just be a lot of things that I didn't know or I wasn't hip to. And that would make, I think that would make me vulnerable. So mm-hmm. for folks deciding to come back, you, you gotta, you gotta kind of decide which one suits you best, which one suits your personality. You know, are you more comfortable, um, kind of getting a more secure situation? You get having a car, you know, having that set, you go out in your car. Are you more comfortable getting onto the moto or, or the, or what, what kind of floats your boat? So I think that security kind of goes with your mental. Um, but for myself anyway, I just felt like it would, it, it would be more ideal or beneficial for me to, to just, uh, what's the best word? Integrate, you know, integrate, right? You're back, you're back home. So you just, you just go ahead and integrate. Um, in terms of scale between Port-au-Prince and Cape Patient, for those of, for those of, um, the listeners in the States, I would say this the difference in scale between, uh, New York City and Boston. You know, if you look at the amount of people in metropolitan New York versus Boston, the scale is crazy. They're still considered two cities, right? But New York's got so many people. You could just take mm-hmm. a borough of New York. The borough of Brooklyn itself has the same, probably the same amount of people in it population wise as Boston does. And so, um, Port-au-Prince, you're talking about a few million people in the metropolitan area. And then, you know, you look at Cape Haitian size wise, comparatively, it's, it's tiny. You know, mm-hmm. I remember when I, I visited Cape Haitian, but when I finally got there and, and started walking around the, the city, I remember my first or second day, uh, a few years back, I literally walked from one end of the city to the other. And when I got to the other end of the city, I didn't, I didn't even believe it, mm. how small it was. I was like, how, how did I just walk through an entire city in less than, you know, two hours? And so compared to Port-au-Prince, Cape Haitian, I felt like it's a, it's a neighborhood, you know, the city. It's very, very small. Um, I think security wise that that helps actually because in Port-au-Prince, if you have a, a, a Bunzi, right, they could do some type of uh, crime. They could do a crime in Pétionville, hop on a moto, and they could be way down in, in you know, some other area of, mm-hmm. uh, they could go to Centreville or Oubien by la ville. Like, yeah. there's just a lot of space to hide. Whereas in Cape Haitian, you do a crime in the city, there's basically only one way in and one, one way out. It's much easier to shut down the city or, or to kind of figure you out. And through my experience, I've seen cases where, um, you know, somebody's done something and days later, it's like, you know, they found the dude, you know, days later they found who did the crime and in Port au Prince, there's just a lot more chance for anonymity and, and, mm-hmm. and stuff. 
Yeah. You, you, you mentioned something um about the market, which I've, I've sometimes when I go to the market here and uh, I post, you know, did I get ripped off? I, I just bought, you know, ten grenadiers for a thousand goods. <laughs> how, did you, how did you figure out all that stuff? There's a question that people, a lot of people ask me as well. I don't go to the masha anymore. Now I have some, you know, my wife and I, we have someone who, who does the masha for us. Um, how did you figure that out? What was that process like? How was it in, in Oka with, with getting food and all that stuff? Uh, so the masha, been a, it's been an interesting for me. Um, you know, when I was going back and forth, I would always stay with family when I was living in Port-au-Prince. Uh, and in that sense, you know, family, right, they, they you're visiting, so there's things that they're going to kind of take care of for you. Um, now, when you make that transition from visiting to living, right, it's not even the family who's trying to necessarily kick you out or whatever, but it's just like they've got their lives to lead. And on the flip side of that, you get to a point where you're like, hey, I'm, I'm looking to live, right? I'm, I'm coming back. So like, you want your space, right? You want your autonomy. And so, you know, when I, when I got my little place, uh, you know, in, in Delma at the time, there's a lot of things that my family was taking care of that I, I was like, okay, I got to figure this out now, you know, but before I decided to try to hire somebody or try to send somebody to the Mache for me, I was like, I got to, I got to reacquaint. I got to know what I'm dealing with. Right. Because I don't want a situation where somebody realizes I'm not hip to the prices. I'm not hip to the game. I'm not hip to how things happen. And, you know, that same person that you send to get your food is ripping you off. Right. So for me, I decided like okay i'm going to start at the i'm going to start at the most basic level you know i'm going to go and handle it myself and figure it out so that if i do get to the point where i'm going to send somebody to take care of a b c or x y z for me um i'm going to i'm going to know um what i'm dealing with so for for the mache it was a lot of just trial and error so I could ask family, hey, you know, what's the price? What's the price for like five tomatoes, right? Then I go, they tell me, okay, it's about this much. I'll go over to the mache. I'll look to get that price. And then mm -hmm. I could quickly identify if somebody was ripping me off. There are times like when I got to Cape Haitian, right, because I don't got like a whole bunch of family or whatever in Cape Haitian. So I could literally go to the mache, buy a pineapple, Right. Now, if I'm I'm walking away from the mache, I don't know if I got ripped off or not. But there's so many of the um of the timashan walking around. Mm -hmm. So while I'm walking home with my pineapple, I can see a timashan walking with with a bunch of pineapples. I'll stop her. I'll stop her on the street, and I'll say, "Hey, I just bought this pineapple for a hundred goods, you know. And did I did I buy it well?" Did, mm -hmm. how, how did I, I'll basically ask her, how did I do? You'll be surprised. Like, a lot of folk would just tell you. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you did well. Or, oh, they they got you this time, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's like, not that big of a deal. There's been situations where I thought, you know, oh, you talk about, and I talked about having a diverse group of friends, right? So, you know, I was walking with a friend 
a couple months back and I saw I saw her she said hey she called out to him and said hey uh that that avocado you sold me the other day I didn't like it. it it went bad you know pretty quickly I want you to give me another one mm-hmm. and she got another one right like that mm. and so I was like oh yeah you could do that and so I went back couple of days later, I went back to a, a, a my son that had sold me some stuff. And I said, hey, you, you sold me this stuff. I think it was tomatoes. And a couple of them went bad, this, that, and the third. And yeah, Chris, like you said, sometimes you got to be argumentative. But I basically said, yo, give me, give me a new batch. You know, give me some more. <laughs> give me some more, right? And the, the thing behind that is, you know, if they treat you well, you're coming back, and if they don't, then then you're not. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so, it's trial so, and error. Cool, cool. So, so let's jump into the digital nomad part now, because you know we talk about buying mm-hmm. stuff that needs income, right? <laughs> so, so we got to right. talk about you know how exactly you went about supporting yourself. And so, as I mentioned at the top of the, of the of the stream, you know you came in with um, you know the capacity where you 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 find work from American companies. And and you and you function, you function, you do work for them. You, you have, you know, Internet facilities and, and then ultimately you get paid. And so talk about, uh, you know, the type of work that you're able to do, because I can inspire someone else to also um, uh, think about doing it, too. Right. And then, and then ultimately the whole infrastructure that it takes uh, to go about that. And, and again, if, was that even on purpose? Did you on purpose choose your profession because of that or just, just so happened? All, all that. <laughs> sure, sure. So I'll, I'm going to back up a little bit again. Um, and, and for the viewers or the listeners, I'd say that it's going to depend, right, on is it a push factor or a pull factor, you know, for you? So. For me, initially, it was a push factor. I wanted to get out. I wanted to be away from abroad. I wanted to come back home. So I wasn't really thinking of working for an NGO or working for a Haitian company. What, am I, what was in my mind was just, I'm ready to leave. I'm done. I got my degree. How do I get out of here? You know. And so when I when I had been visiting family and the natural thing to do is start looking at the local job market. You know, say, okay, I, I speak English. I've got this degree in psychology. I've, I've got an interest in education. And so naturally, like I had mentioned before, I was thinking, well, I'll just teach. You know, I'll teach in Haiti and then I'll spend my summers in the States, right? Um, so really thinking about how do you get into the local uh, job market. Now, when you're deciding to go into the local job market, uh, it's from what I've seen year in years past, and I haven't actually looked for a job. Excuse me. Uh, I haven't actually looked for a job at the local market in years, but at the time, it was very, very difficult and extremely competitive. It's an extremely competitive job market, uh, and anybody who tells you differently is lying. Um, mm-hmm. It's a it's a job market where if you're coming from abroad and you want to make um, you know, a decent, a decent livable wage uh, that you understand being in the, the States or Canada or France, um, that decent livable wage when you come to Haiti 
it's really it's a gold mine. You know, there are few companies and few positions that you're going to find that is going to give you that wage that you want. And you really want it. Uh, otherwise, uh, you're going to put yourself in a position where um, you will have no choice but to be, you know, at the mache and doing like living really locally, um, yeah, especially yeah. if that's not your cup of tea. So when I found out the difficulty of the local job market, we could just leave it to languages alone. You know, so many positions at the time started to ask for English, uh, French, and, and Creole. And that's a whole other discussion as to why. Um, but once you see that, uh, it's like, okay, if you don't have those mastered really well, you're already at a disadvantage. Uh, and don't, don't make any mistake. There's a lot of, um, not a lot. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. A ton of Haitian nationals are very, very competent and capable, and we know from the facts and figures that they leave the country. They're the little bit that who do remain, who do not um, become part of the brain drain, trust me, they are very confident and capable, smart individuals, and, and I don't think that you will be able to compete easily uh, with them, even if you have an international degree, because they've got a lot of other things in their pockets that have led them to a particular, um, you know, level in the country. So um, they're they're also very very professional, and, and and so just keep that in mind. It's not like a a, a walk in the park. Um, so to get to the digital nomad piece, I had thought about that just to figure out a way that. I could continue to be in that American job market while living in Haiti because I thought, hey, that's the best of both worlds. That way I could get that wage that I'm trying to get, that livable wage mm-hmm. um, that will allow me to to travel a bit more and and whatnot um, to, to get a certain standard of living. Um, I've already been to college, right, in the States. I already know the system. I already know... I've mastered how it works. So why lose that? Why lose that that um, competence and those skills and those connections and resources, right? So um, the digital nomad piece, it just came about like that. And when I thought about it, I was actually like, I'm willing to do anything. As long as it's remote, I'll do it. You want me to type? You want me to be a transcriptionist? You Like, I even care. You want me to tutor? I'll do whatever it is that is necessary as long as the job is remote. Um, I wouldn't advocate for that. That was purely like more emotional. Like I just want to be in Haiti. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd really recommend if you're looking to be a digital nomad or looking to, to go remote, whether you want to live in Haiti or not, wherever you want to go, you really got to treat it like a, like, like a regular job search. You know, because you're not at the end of the day, you're not really willing to do any anything and everything. You got to think about where your skill sets, um, you know, your competence and then decide from there. So I really relied on, you know, education as as my base, anything surrounding education, you know, curriculum, anything within that sphere. Right. Just to keep it flexible. Right. Because you're looking for remote jobs. So you want to you want to be focused enough that you could find something, but you want to be flexible enough that what you find you can do remotely. 
And so anything in education is what I've what I've hung my hat on. Wow. Oh, you wanted me to talk about infrastructure too, I think. Yeah, right? yeah, that whole setup. How did you actually go about, you know, like you know, electricity and and yeah. uh, and internet and and cuz you know, you have to have stable internet, you know, to to function. I tell folks, if I knew then what I know now, like if that's say, say <laughs> hindsight is 2020, um, you know, at my family's house, right? It was hard to get that consistent electricity. So the very first thing that I'm, I'm sure folks have heard is you cannot rely on the grid. You cannot rely on EDH. If you're deciding to work for France or Canadian or American-based company or any company in a developed country, um, you just cannot rely on the the local grid system in Haiti. Um, you, you will fail or you will you will have a heart attack. You know, so there were times that I I would buy um, a UPS. The UPS is called an unlimited power supply, something like that. It's basically a battery. It's a it's a battery. You plug it into an outlet, and when ADH, the National Electric Company in Haiti, gives electricity, you charge that battery. Okay, so that when the electricity is out, you could use that battery to power your stuff, to power your your laptop, to power your um, your hotspot um, while you work. Well, what if what if the Haitian grid system doesn't give electricity or what if your battery just runs out of power? You know, there there were Skype calls I used to have and my battery is about to to lose charge. I actually had a a situation where in the middle of a meeting with my supervisor, my battery lost. It just I lost power. I didn't have nothing in the battery. I didn't have nothing in the laptop and I had to I had to circle back and you basically got to creative be creative and make a make an excuse. You don't want to be in that situation. So what I'd recommend is you either have to rent a place uh and negotiate with the landlord to have that included. Uh so what that means is that the landlord is going to provide you with uh batteries uh, an inverter, solar panels, a generator, or all of the above, they're basically going to install that system so that you have electricity 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's going to that's gonna cost you. If you're asking them to do that, that's going to cost you. And you've got to become an electrician. You have to understand your power consumption. So uh, that, that's, a big, that's a big piece. Internet, like I, I know, I know. It ultimately, depends on where you are. But did you see differences in, in capacity versus port prince and Capaisian, uh in terms of allowing you to function? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, in Port-au-Prince, I have I have lived in Delma. I've lived in Toujours. I, just different areas, and. Uh, there, there. At the height of my time, when I had a contract, I actually ended up signing up for all three internet services. Right. A, a pretty penny. I had uh, Notcom internet service. I had Access IET internet service, and I had Digicel. I, 
And so you imagine you've got three internets, you've got three little internet boxes, three hotspots. Um, and depending on the time of day, you're switching around and trying to see which one is going to give you um, the best signal, the best Wi-Fi signal. Mm -hmm. um, now there are implications in terms of where you could live. You know, when I was thinking about uh, leaving Port-au-Prince or even going to another area of Port-au-Prince, I, I was like, I want to be under the, you know, under the trees. I want to be out there in nature. I quickly learned, unfortunately, it was after I moved to a, a new area, that if you're in an area that's got a bunch of trees and stuff, your Wi-Fi signal can't even get through to your hotspot. Yeah. So I just I didn't know. I wasn't technical like that to know uh, of that situation. So now there's implications in terms of where you can actually, uh, you know, where you can live. You could also look at uh, fiber optic Internet. So I do have to say there are times when I've had better Internet service in Haiti, whether it's Port-au-Prince or Cape Haitian, than some colleagues have had in, in, in parts of the United States. So it's important not to completely knock, knock the, the Internet services in Haiti. Um, there are some services in the States that you know, don't, don't even work as well. You know, one of my clients is, we had a call and one of my clients saw that there was some type of activity and they thought it was, they thought it was me because I, they knew I was in Haiti. They said, Oh, you know, what's going on? Is there, is that you? I said, no, my connection is, my connection is fine. It was actually one of my colleagues connections that was, um, was causing problems. So, I would strongly recommend getting uh, at least two of the Haiti Internet services, whether it's NATCOM, Access IT, Digicel, getting two, uh, because one of the main things to remember in Haiti is that you have to have a, uh, you have to have a backup. You just, and, and when it comes to internet and electricity, that's excruciatingly important because it's never going to be okay or acceptable to, to say to your client or to your job, yeah, I, I didn't have electricity. It's just not going to fly. I know. I know. Mark can certainly speak to this because even though he's he has, he's, he's 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 bound to Haiti and and uh, and doing NGO stuff in the country, it's an international entity, right? And and uh, and so you do have meetings. All the time, I'm sure, yeah. you know, with your folks abroad. And, and I know me for me, too. Like, I, I guess it's the point where, like, I'm like, you know, first off, my, my business is outsourcing. So I have clients and and I have to service them. And, and literally, like, you can go if I go one day I'm at, and I've lost clients like that, where I, I went one day where I couldn't take calls. Or my employees can take calls. I lost those contracts. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's and it's very important. So, so I mean, I. Yeah, I have in my office two fibers, NatCom and Access Haiti. And if I could get the third, because they just also offers a fiber, I'd get that too, but they just don't offer it in my particular area, mm. right? So internet's really important for me. And, and, and so, you know, it, you know, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it, it, it can vary. Uh, there's a lot of so many factors. Like literally, you can be in an area where the overall signal is good, but then the, your building that you're in, the the walls are too thick, and right. so you have to try consider putting your fiber box outside, and then, and then there's a whole bunch of other factors that you have to consider then. Because what if it starts raining, right? And so, yeah. but but that aside, because we can have a, a whole episode just on that, I'm sure. So what I want to just find out, uh, Junior, is that 
you know, the process to get a remote gig, right? Because I can, I can speak to my experience. It took me months, right? And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a guy, cause I come from that big data. I, I'm so qualified where if I'm in the States getting a, just a regular office gig or job, like, like, it, like literally I'm, I'm headhunting all the time. Like even as we talk about three, three, four headhunters in my email right now trying to, trying to get me to, 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 to come over. Uh, and literally I posted within a week on Monday, on Friday, I'm hired somewhere. Like that's, my experience, but to get a digital nomad job, even in my domain where there's so much demand, it took me months. And I realized that one thing that helps considerably is certifications to help you stand out because I, I think it's a, it's a combination of there's not that many remote jobs. And then, and there's, and then, and I feel like there's a lot of people com- trying to get them. And I, and this is back three years ago, not today in the era of COVID and work from home, right? I'm not even, I'm not even getting there, right? And so I'm just curious, like, what some of the some tips you would provide folks to to getting it, and and just sort of your your workflow in terms of finding opportunities, what sort of websites, really well, break that down to us, man. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I would think that the thing that helped me the most, because I didn't have like big certifications or anything like that, but what I what I did have was you really just need a client that provides you an opportunity to work from home, even if you're still in Canada or the States or or the U.S. Do you have somebody who you're working with right now who would allow you to do you know, one or two or three days from home? Because that's really what I ended up putting on my resume. You know, f- people who are considering you for work from home, the, the first thing they want to know is have you worked from home before and can somebody vouch to your to your experience? And, and just to go back to that supervisor I was talking about that I was having a meeting with her and all my power cut out. Luckily, that was only a one-time thing, right? But for the most part, our relationship was such that she was able to provide a really, really strong reference to me to, to say to folks, you know, yes, you know, he has worked. He has worked from home. Uh, he has worked with us remotely and this is what, excuse me, uh, this is what he was able to accomplish, you know. So having somebody who could vouch for you. I've even, when I've applied to different positions, um, I've told them not only that references are available upon request, but I've put in my cover letters, you know, you can, you can talk to this client, this client, this person and leave those phone numbers there and really even encourage Encourage folks to give your former supervisor a call so that they can speak on your behalf about, you know, your ability to to work from home effectively. Um, I'd also talk about how I organize my day. You know, so if you get if you get to that cover letter or better yet, if you get to the interview, you can actually talk about this is how I organize my day. You know, as I'm working from home, this is my outlook calendar. This is my schedule. This is how often I check in. I, I always send weekly emails. That's something I've kept with me even at when I, you know, worked in, in the States. I said, okay, at Friday afternoon, about noontime, you're going to get an email from me. You know, whether we have a face to face meeting or not, you're going to get an email from me detailing everything that I've completed, everything that's currently in progress and anything that, that is pending. And so, you just have to put a lot um, 
out there that you might not have to do when you're face to face and your boss can just come by and check on you and have a quick conversation. I, I over communicate so that so that folks can really feel comfortable. Uh, besides that, in terms of the actual search, uh, Indeed.com is very good. Uh, Flex Jobs is something I've used. Uh, there's there's uh, virtual vocations. There's a whole bunch of sites out there that you can start to tap into that can that can help provide guidance or that who focus on remote work. Um, the, the next thing I would do as well is revise that resume. You know, if you've got your if you've got your address on there and stuff, but you're looking for a remote job, you've already done yourself a disservice. Take take that address out and put at the objective on your resume that you're looking for remote opportunities. You know, try to be like you're looking for remote and remote only. Uh, if it's really a hundred percent remote that you're looking for. You need to be clear about that. Uh, I've had interviews where folks thought that I meant uh, that I was considering partially remote, you know, 50 percent, you know, three days a week, four days. So if in your mind right now, for the listeners and viewers, if in your mind you assume remote means 100 percent of the time, uh, you need to make clear that that's your assumption to whoever you're you're, you're communicating with so that you, you guys are on the same page. Interesting. I think um, you, you got some really practical, really practical steps right there for the people listening. So I know, I know, on my part, you know, when it comes to you know the digital nomad lifestyle, you know, it, 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 making that money is great, <laughs> but then getting it to Haiti is another story, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so, so you'll walk us through some of the stuff you may use, and and even Mark, I, I'm not sure. I think your NGO is probably registered in Haiti, so you're probably getting it straight from uh from you know, from a Haitian bank account, right, Mark? No, actually, I get direct, direct deposits um, to my U.S. bank account. Okay, yeah. So both you guys can talk yeah. to you, talk to us about that. How, how are you how are you getting it to 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 Haiti to spend and, and do all your activities? Yeah. So for that piece, I had thought like a lot of folks. Uh, you know, you might think traditionally that along with building a house, you want to get you know, you want to get your your bank account and whatnot. Uh, I should make clear that I I do happen to travel. I still travel. So if I'm abroad for a certain period of time, I can just go into a bank and get my money or go to an ATM and get the amount of money that I need. Uh, there's ATMs in Haiti. Um, you gotta you gotta remember that they're not as reliable. Right. So you got to remember you get you can get to an ATM um, with the best of intentions and it's out of service. And it, there's no saying when it will be in service again. So just be aware of that, too. Um, if you're planning to be live in Haiti or be there for a long time, um, that the ATMs are not um, going to be your best friend. Um, I've gone back and forth between opening accounts versus not opening accounts. I've looked at the different banks as well. Um but that's not my primary way to get money. You know, for, for those, I think all of us on this call have had that experience of just that long line. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember being in a long line at a at a uni uh, unibunk in Delma, and I'm just looking at this line. And I'm like, I'm I'm never going to get my money. You know, this is just not going to work. So I've shied away from banks for the most part. Uh, it's mostly been for me. 
um, going to different ATMs if I need some money or just just getting the sum of money that I need, you know, when I'm abroad that I can that I can take back. Not necessarily hiding money under the mattress, but, you know, taking out enough that I could be good in case I go to an ATM in Haiti and it, it's out of service, it's not functioning, that I'm not down to my last, you know, my last good, right, before I before I re-up. Right. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure how the infrastructure is in um, Oka, um, but thank God here in Port-au-Prince, you, I, I, mean, I can get most things on my card. If I'm not buying anything from the Mache, or if I'm not putting, I mean, even cut that I put on my phone, I can do it through a card. Um, so I've been able to use my card mostly everywhere, markets, um, gas stations, um, restaurants. I can use, you know, um, a debit card. The other thing is also... Um, I always travel or when I go out, I always go out with multiple cards just because sometimes the card, I don't know if it's just me, but the cards um, doesn't always work even if you have money on it. And so if you're not using a credit card, if you're using a debit card, for example, it may not go through. So I always have a debit card and a credit card just in case. Um, but it's been really easy for me to use cards here. Like you said, ATMs are very iffy, not very reliable. Um, and you can be very disappointed if you need cash. <laughs> You're running all throughout the city trying to find a working ATM. Yeah, I, uh, you know, luckily, so my it's important to note, by the way, I'm sure that uh, my cards that I use, I'm the same way, by the way, almost everything I, I purchase in, in groceries, everything has to be on card because it's the convenience of not having to pay a transfer fee. I transfer all my all my funds to my Ameri- from American to my U- Haitian bank account. And it adds up. It adds up because it's like the fees can range from six to fourteen dollars depending on how much you're trying to send over. So it adds up real quick. I mean, it actually can go as high as thirty bucks actually, depending on what you're Man. doing when it is. And so, so the the cards I have don't have a foreign transaction fee. That's really important to note, right? Yeah. Oh, that's if, good. If not, because if you're not, you, that's going to really tax you, right? Because it's usually a percentage of of the, of the value. And so, it's really important to 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 look for cards that don't have a, a foreign transaction. That's a real, real important thing. To note, I, I, I'd say the, the last question I asked Junior for me from you is that, like one thing I didn't, I didn't maybe I, maybe you said it and I missed it. Uh, give us the categories of the, the best digital nomad sort of jobs in your opinion. That that in terms of maybe higher demand, you feel like you know, um, and and relatively quick turnaround from your experience. What do you think those are? Um, if you could share. Sure, sure. So I would say that. You're definitely indeed indeed.com is my my go-to uh, and indeed is incredible because it's it's available in so many in, in so many countries you know you could actually search for indeed jobs in Brazil and in Canada and you could look anywhere and everywhere and they have a, a structure that allows you to easily apply so if you put your resume up there you could apply to you know five ten jobs within ten minutes. Uh, so I, I found Indeed to be really friendly, especially that you don't have to come out of pocket for that at all. Um, LinkedIn LinkedIn has some items as well. You know LinkedIn I've seen at times. There's just a lot that they're starting to offer, 
and putting that category in. You really want to look for some for sites like LinkedIn or Indeed or virtual vocations even that allows you to select that category uh, of of remote. And I had also mentioned I had also mentioned flex jobs too. You know, flex jobs. It's I think that was more back in the day. Uh, I think they're still they're still they're still around, but. Basically, if the site doesn't have an option for you to select uh, remote, then you probably shouldn't even be on that site. Uh, Glassdoor, from what I remember, Glassdoor.com is another site that allows you to toggle and choose, um, you know, remote. You might have to type remote or work from home or telecommute. So try all three, and then you should see some options that that start to pop up. I also want to swing back to what you mentioned, Mark, about the card, the ease of the card. For, for those who are looking to uh, perhaps work and live outside of Port-au-Prince, uh, meaning whether it's in Cape Haitian or somewhere else, uh, you really have to remember that you're conceding a certain level of infrastructure mm-hmm. and ease. I actually enjoy the times I come back to Port-au-Prince and see family because I could whip out my card and use it almost anywhere. Yeah. Uh, not at all the case, uh, you know, in Cape Haitian. There's a few places, a few select places where you can use your card with confidence, but, uh, you know, 90% of the time you need to have the good old cash on you, which means that you really got to, think and master or remaster that local currency system, um, you know, as you're doing your, you're conducting your business. Now, now, so Junior, so, so that's so where to, to find, that's, that's one, that's one part of the question, but do you, can you provide guidance on like some of the most common jobs? Like for example, is it nursing? Is it, you know, I know you're in this sort of curriculum design, um, uh, error yourself you know in case you didn't talk about that you're in that sort of curriculum design sort of realm um or you know what other i don't maybe in it it has been there's a lot of it different roles that you can do from just you know helping folks or on you know like through help desk and just some some more analyst sort of you know traditional roles so what, what do you feel like some of the you know you feel you've seen or you suspect or are out of experience you know the the biggest chances for folks to find remote yeah the the more the more specialized the more specialized you are the higher demand so if you are if you are a nurse or a medical professional you, you know you're likely to find a variety of things that are going to ask for that expertise they think about medical transcription think about you know case management caseload management right because you have that that body of knowledge that's going to really be helpful. Um, think about if you're an attorney or a lawyer, you know, you have that legalese, that legal expertise and terminology that you can tap into that can separate you uh, from the pack. I would say more general things. Um, you can look uh, on, you know, writing and communication, virtual assistant, executive assistant, those are out there as well, right? But they're not as specialized, which means that you're going to be competing with, you know, a lot of other people, right? You're going to be competing with people from different majors, from different backgrounds, 
who feel like they can also be a virtual assistant or executive assistant. So I think the starting point would be what is your degree in? What is your expertise in? Right. And then moving from there, because that's what's going to be able to differentiate you from from a lot of the other folks that are looking for remote work. Uh, I haven't really looked enough to determine what's what's hottest out there right now. But the one thing that pops into my mind would be uh, professions that by their very nature um, have been welcoming of remote work. So if you're a software engineer or a, a coder, computer programmer, if you're in IT, then you're already well situated, right? Because that, that type of industry allows for that remote work. Um, if you're in, uh, let's see, what else? Graphic design. You know, you're, in, you're a graphic designer. You sit at home and you're on Adobe Illustrator. It requires you to just more so be independent. You create a product and produce a product. You're, you're in good shape. And it, again, education, creating a product and producing a product, um, it doesn't require as much meetings or interaction. You're more so providing a particular service or product and you're able to produce something. So, just try to think about industries that allow that. But if you're somebody who's you, you tend to have a lot of meetings or maybe you're more, it just requires a bit more soft skills, those type of positions are, I've found those to be pretty challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, another hot position that's coming up is uh, UX design. It's, it's kind of similar to graphic design, but different in its own right. So if you're a, a UX designer, you could probably finagle uh, remote work a little bit easier. Project management as well, I feel like that's starting to pop up more mm-hmm. you know, with virtual teams. If you have a, talking about certifications, if you have a, a, I think it's a PMP, you have a PMP and you have some experience working remotely, you might be able to position yourself, you know, to lead a, to lead a, a project team even if it's something that's not exactly in your domain, look at higher education. If you're a doctor or a nurse, you might be able to land something where you're creating a, a course or you're reviewing a course for for a local university. So, um, all things to consider. And I think um, just to, just to piggyback off that, one of the things that coronavirus is doing is having people work from home. And I think that on the mm-hmm. back end of this there will probably be so many more opportunities to open up because of COVID-19 and what it has done. And now it's forcing people to think differently and work differently. So, you know, digital nomad is definitely a space where I think a lot of people should begin to look into. Yeah, Mark, I agree. I agree. I think, um, you know, for better or for worse, I don't know how it's going to ultimately track up because that may also mean there may be a lot more demand too, but, but we're hoping that the supply, i.e. employers considering that as a legitimate option uh, should open up because I feel like, you know, the, the numbers just make sense, right? You know, the fact that you don't have to rent out so much office space as a, as a corporate business, right? You right. just have your, you know, employees work from home. It just makes so much more sense. And I know the research has always been, well, you know, we feel that people, 
collaborate better and more productive in the office space where your know, supervisors can walk around. I never really bought that. I, I always felt that, you know, you just, you guys have to try more, like actually put, you know, a program in place so that folks can be right. still productive and connected. And, and, this, and then, and again, this, this, uh, this crisis, this pandemic is forcing employers to really do that, to actually put, they say, okay, well, we really have to try to keep our productivity up. Let's hold these constant Zoom meetings. Let's do these sort of fun activities. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, let's, you know, X, Y, and Z rather than just, oh, we tried it. We didn't feel it was good. We're going to go back to, our, you know. So I think, I think we'll see how this pans out. But overall, I'm optimistic that uh, this may lead to um, uh, uh, more opportunities. So, so Junior, listen, man, I, I want to thank you so much. We're at the top of the hour here, man. And uh, I want to thank you so much for, for coming in. You know, yeah, from your no perspective, uh, it really was value added. I feel like uh, this is an episode that people are going to refer to a lot when it when it comes to trying to understand not only what it means to transition, what it means to where to transition and why, and and the fact that you you did it as in you know such a raw way where you you really just you know you know really took all your clothes off and dive right in the cold end of the pool, deep and cold end of the pool. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you know, versus me, I, I I always feel I did have a slightly insulated um, um, introduction to Haiti because I was able to leverage uh, my family's uh, infrastructure a lot more between their vehicles and they had a driver and, and, and so but you just kind of just, just jumped right into it so so much respect for that and again you do it as a digital nomad I think that uh, it's, it's just something that um, you know I think if you can do it the way you're doing it uh, I think so many more Haitians could, could can can do it too. Absolutely. And again, you said it yourself. I like how you you, you emphasized like um, security, where you felt like you're like you, Okap is even more secure because it's such a smaller town and and there's less people, places people can hide when they do desert, right? So right. those are all factors. I didn't you know light bulb moments for me. Mark, what's your some final thoughts on your part, bro? Man, I think I think you're you're a pioneer in in, in the Jasper digital nomad game, brother. Um, so <laughs> thank, good thank to you. have you good to have you here in Haiti, and um, I'm I'm looking forward to to coming up to Ocop and hanging out and yeah, thank you so much for you know for, for all the nuggets. We appreciate it. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, I want to thank you guys for the opportunity to to just talk and talk shop and share thoughts i've I've also learned and and benefited from both of your perspectives and as we've learned there's a lot of ways to do this there's a lot of ways to skin a cat so so folks you just got to find out what works best for you what's most comfortable um and, and just the last thing i would say is that if you if folks decide to be a digital nomad and coming back to haiti just make sure that you make time for your for your family, for your friends and, and get out there. You don't want to, you don't want to move here and then just be in front of your computer all day. You know, you want to make sure that you've got other activities and, and things to keep you integrated into the society. So you don't just want to be in here. You want to be of here and, and take part yeah. of what's going on in the country. That's what's up. Yes, so, so that's the end of the Haitian diaspora. Living in Haiti podcast, my pimple with C Gentsy and your favorite pastor, Mark Antoine. All right. And again, our guest today was Junior JB, an OCOP native uh, who uh, migrated from uh, America to live. Until next time, we're, we're happy to have you listening and we'll be back 
At it again. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs>